Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. It is a great privilege to join you in your earbuds and your automobiles and your homes. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in and listening to us. It has been a fabulous week uh, on Wall Street, in Washington, and for the world. Lots to talk about, lots of activity, uh, and, and, and all of it is affecting markets. Uh, in our first segment, we've got Kenny Polcari uh, is going gonna, is gonna to join us and explain Wall Street to us. There's a lot to explain. Dan Mahaffey is going to come and talk to us about Washington, uh, Spygate in Washington. That's the news on Capitol Hill right, na- right now. And then uh, we have the fabulous new guest for us, Lester Munson, one of the smartest guys we'll ever talk to on the forecast, and we talked to some smart guys, uh, is going to explain a little bit about what is going on uh, in North Korea, in Iran, in Italy, and in Spain. I hope all of those uh, leaders of all of those governments will be listening tonight, because if they, if, if they uh, listen to Munson, they'll know how to conduct their governments tomorrow. So uh, everybody benefits from listening to the forecast, you see. Remember that on the forecast, we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And we believe that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. Today was an emotional day. Joining us now from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange is my great friend, Kenny Polcari. He's a managing director for O'Neill Securities and head of floor operations. He is devilishly handsome. He is articulate as long as he can move his hands. Uh, he, he is uh, charming, very smart, and much older than I am. Welcome uh, to the Farcast, Kenny. Michael, Michael, I thought I was the smartest guy in the room. You're killing me. Well, you're the smartest guy not in the room. How about that? <laughs> I, I, I got this is a tough this is a tough room, KP. I got news for you. These are some smart guys. Yeah. I mean, uh, Bar, 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 Boris is over there counting on on fingers, and he's taking his shoes off to just keep up with the minutes of the program. Uh, Kenny, we had a tough market today. Stocks went down, bonds went up, uh, the dollar went up. The dollar's been going way up. What's going on? I mean, and Morgan Stanley uh, scared everybody with a little bit of uh, negative guidance. Tell me what happened on Wall Street today. Morgan, oh my God, it was the day. It was a day to remember for sure because it was really all built around geopolitical stuff. And what's really interesting about that is that last week, when there was all this geopolitical stuff between trade with China and North Korea and the, the Turkish lira and the potential. Uh, disruption in the Italian government. All that was out there, yet the markets chose to ignore it last Wait, wait, wait. What happened with the Turkish lira? You're following the Turkish well, lira? No, uh, there was a currency crisis in, Tur- in, in, in the Turkish lira, right? It was crashing last week, and actually they raised interest rates there uh, to 16.5% to try to stop the bleed in the Turkish lira. That happened like on Thursday. If you if you read my note, I gave you all the information. Uh, One I, way or I, the other... Look, I read, this- I read your note. I learned how to make sausage and lentil soup today. <laughs> all this geopolitical stuff was out there, yet the market last week chose to ignore it all. Notice what the market did. It actually closed higher at the end of the week. Not, it not was a strong a lot, week, but yeah. marginally higher. But now this morning we wake up. Now remember, yesterday was a holiday for us, so we didn't get a chance to react to anything that happened over the weekend until today. And so uh, 
what really caught most people, I think, I think all people by by surprise, was what happened over the weekend and then again last night uh, in Italy, right? With the with that coalition government that they thought they were going to put together, the Italian president came out and said, "Uh, uh-uh, not working for us." Uh, the economist that they chose was this 81-year-old guy who's anti-European Union, and so therefore it created all this turmoil. Uh, in in Italy. Now, look, Italian governments come and go. I think since 1945, there's been 71 new Italian governments in 60-some-odd in years. Right? How many of those, so, I mean, like uh, half of those have been related to you, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, at least half of them. That's what but I thought. one way or the other, that whole crisis this morning, notice when, when I got up and I got to work, European markets were under real pressure. The Italian market was down over 2.5%. The rest of Europe was down one and a half or one and three quarters percent because they were all talking about you know now what was going to happen in Italy? The Italian president, right? They're going to pull out. Of, they're going to pull out of the European Union, right? I mean, well, that's that's the big well, idea was, next, right? Well, that was the conversation, and that's just reminiscent of what happened in 2011, 2012 with Greece. Not that I think it's anywhere near Greece at all. I think Greece was much more on the verge of pulling out. Italy is not on the verge of pulling out at all. But they start but with a no confidence was, vote. It could lead to Brexit, right? Well, well, that's what they said it could, which is what caused all that kind of uh, angst today. And so all of a sudden, the markets and investors and the algos and traders decided to all of a sudden listen to the geopolitical drama that was happening today. And so you saw it right from the very start. The European markets were weak. The U.S. market was weak. It got, you know, tried to stabilize right after the opening. It tried to kind of put it in perspective. Yet as the day went on, uh, the talk just got uglier and uglier. And, and then there was that talk of contagion once again, the U.S. investment banks exposure not only to Italy, but their exposure to Europe, and then the big European investment banks exposure to Italy and exposure to Europe. And what did that mean? And so you had that whole kind of anxiety ridden day. Then on top of that, you throw in more tweets from Trump about China, you about him imposing tariffs. You talk about more uh, uh, talk about North Korea. Is it happening? Is it not happening? And so everything negative today all of a sudden really resonated uh, mostly with the algorithms uh, and the market sold off. And look, we've talked about so, this so, uh, But tell me, okay, but hang so on, hang on. Go back. Tell me the feel on the floor here today. What were what was the feel? Was it were, was there any sense of a panic? Was it doom and gloom? Were people trying to sell and no. get out of the way? Was it a raise of the coin? What, what, what did the volumes look like? What, what was going on on the floor? What were investors doing? Well, okay, so, so it wasn't doom and gloom so much as you, as you may have think just by looking at the numbers. There was certainly lots of concern. There was lots of chatter. But you know what? There wasn't that really panicky sense, right? The volumes did not explode, so it wasn't like everyone was running for the door at the same time. And we've talked about this. What ends up happening in a situation like this is that because the system is so automated, the trading is automated, the buy-side algorithms pull their bids and leave a void. So a lot of it happened because there's this void in prices, right? And so the market then the market then sells off. And once you break through technical levels, and 2710 was that first level, right. we opened right there today. We held for a little bit, but the minute we broke that technical level, then the market started to sell off. So hard, tell me, right? so because tell me where we go from here, Kenny. Tell me where we go from here. I got people with money in their well, pockets. They don't know whether they should be buying or selling. What's this thing going to do? How does this play out for the rest so, of the week? So, here, so here's how I think it plays out. We ended up trading right down to the second level of 
support, which was 26.75, and held, and actually bounced off that. We stayed for a little bit. It tested to see whether or not it was going to break. It didn't break. The market bounced a little bit. We closed higher at 26.85. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think they're going to test 26.75 again. I think they're going to see if it holds. If it holds, then the market will stabilize and churn. If it fails, if it fails, then watch out because you're going to go right down to the long-term support, which is going to be 26.35. Now, I'm not sure. I don't think that's going to happen. But if you get a lot of negative, more negative commentary overnight, then you could see it happen. But if it's if it stays the way it is, because look, tomorrow uh, Trump could come out and say, "Oh, everything's great with China, everything's great with North Korea," and the market will be up 500 points because they'll forget about Italy and they'll focus right on what he's saying. So. I think the market's okay here, but here's the deal, and you say this all the time. Do not make an emotional decision. If you're a long-term investor, you should welcome kind of this reduction in prices and take advantage of it. Don't panic. Don't be hitting the sell button. You should be hitting the buy button. Okay, but the other thing that's, uh, that we saw today that we normally don't see, Kenny, on sell-off days, we typically see a risk-off trade, right? You see a right? risk-off trade. We, well, in stocks... Yeah, now I know that bonds went up and I know that the currency rallied, but we didn't gold a little bit. But the Nasdaq was off one half a percent. S and P was off one point one, and the Dow was off almost one point six. So the core right. Dow industrials that are normally seen as as the bigger blue chip group, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. they got the financials yeah. in there, but but still, uh, you know, the, the 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 high tech stocks and all the Fang stocks are still in in that Nasdaq. They actually held up better on a down day right. than some of the old tried and trues. Now, how does that happen? Well, because what happens is on a day like that where it's panicky and people want to raise money quickly, where do they go? They go to the names that they can sell. So when you think of big blue chip Americana, you think of Johnson & Johnson and GE and American Telephone. Those are big, thick, liquid names. So if you need to raise money Fairly quickly, you go to where you can sell it without disrupting the rest of your. You can sell, but then you can sell Microsoft and Google and and, yes, and you, Amazon yes, without disrupting. Yes, you can. But if you like the tech names and you want to hold those positions, you're going to go sell the other stuff before you sell the Microsoft and Amazon. And so that's exactly what they did. Look, at one point the Dow was down over two percent. Those are the Dow 30 names. Meanwhile, the S&P was down less than three-quarters of a percent. The S&P, at its worst, was down 1.6%, then ended up rallying back. And so all that tells me is they took advantage. They sold some of the really big-name stocks. They kept their money, or they, or they punished technology less. They punished those fame stocks, obviously, less. You just said it yourself. They went into bonds. They went into some gold. And so that's why I think this is not nearly as panicky or as... as, as um, um, the difficult the situation. Did you see that the, the Did you see that the ma market cap on Microsoft is now ten billion dollars more than Google or Alphabet? I, I don't know what the hell to call that company. <laughs> Alphabet, Google, but I mean, but Microsoft, the yeah. old tried and true, is now ten billion dollars right. bigger. I mean, some right. of the tried and trues are doing okay. Does that mean anything to yeah. you? Should we mean, take any meaning from that when we see that sort of thing happen, Kenny? No. No, I think all it tells you is that money clearly is going into the tech space. Tech is going to change the world, and all those names are benefiting. Look at them. They're all benefiting. And so a name like Microsoft, which is a tried and true, I think that's great for Microsoft. I think that's a real, I think that's a real shot in the arm for Microsoft, considering they've struggled for so long. They really now they're did. really coming into their own. And, you know, they've right? rebuilt they're Yeah, and they've rebuilt their model, and they've gone to cloud. And you don't, you, I mean, for all of us who are a little bit uh, older, and remember that Kenny is older than I am, 
Uh, you remember those your Microsoft boxes where you'd have to load your disks into your into your PC, yep. and you'd have to get your regular yep. updates from Windows 95 to Windows 98, and there was always some stupid new window update that you had to figure out. Now it all comes down from the cloud. Yep. You pay your subscription. Much better yep. model. They've they figured out it. Kenny, really quickly, we're coming out of time here. Tell us, tell our investors what they should be thinking about over the next seven days. You're seeing all of the noise with Italy and Spain. You're hearing what's going right. on with Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley, tell us quickly what they said and what we should be paying attention to over the next seven days from for, so, before we talk to you again. So, so Morgan talked about kind of slowing, uh, the, uh, once again, a slowing environment, right, uh, on the wealth management side as well as kind of in their broader space. And so, therefore, that was just a kick in the pants on top of the anxiety that was created by Italy today, right? So I think, quite honestly, I think, and, and listen, as, and you've said this a number of times, as the yield curve flattens, that's not good for the financials, right? And that's what happened today because they were buying the, they were buying the 10 years and the yield curve was flattening once again. So that was creating some anxiety. But I think once it kind of settles in a little bit, look, the Fed may not raise rates four times this year as was expected. It may go to three if Italy, in fact, is having a difficult time. And so therefore, that's another reason that the banks once again readjusted because the market was preparing for four. So here's what I think you have to look at. You have to just watch how this situation unfolds over the next couple of days, because when news like this comes out, it usually takes three days for the market to stabilize, digest it all and stabilize. Three days, so sit okay. sit back, don't panic. Sit back, and today was the first day. So sit back and don't panic, and uh, just watch how the news comes out. Like I said, look, last, we hold okay. here at 2675. Last word, if I made you buy or sell today, what would you do? Buy it or sell it, Kenny? Uh, I'd be a buyer. I'd be a there buyer. There you go. That's my man. The uh, yield curve uh, between the yield between twos and tens now is about 44, 45 basis points right. apart. We're watching that closely. You heard it from Kenny. We will be back in just a few seconds uh, with the great, the brilliant Dan Mahaffey. Kenny, thank you so much, baby. Stick with us, ladies See and gentlemen. Mike. We're going to be right back on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. This portion of the Farcast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Far Miller and Washington, we believe money is hard to make, and we're going to work hard to keep it working for you. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for coming back, sticking with us, joining us again this week. For those of you who just joined a little bit late, what a terrific first segment with Kenny Polcari. You know, a really roller coaster ride. Stocks down for hundred uh, points. We saw bonds go uh, crazy on a rally, a little flight to safety rally. Morgan Stanley had a big miss. We had uh, so much to talk about with Kenny. Um, coming up, we've got Dan Mahaffey, and then we've got Lester Munson coming up for our third segment. Fabulous guest. You're going to be really, uh, I think he's fascinating. Um, Boris, that is a fabulous song. What what song are you playing for us? Oh, there, I'm I'm very glad you enjoyed this very song. Very glad. Yes. This you make fun of accent. I understand that. A little bit. 
<laughs> this is song from seventies. This from was the seventies. Yes, this was a duet between uh, Brezhnev and Andrei Gromyko. It was a cover of one of your American hits called what? "I'm a Little Bit Country" and you're a little rock and roll. A little, and it was uh, who was that? Gromyko and, and Brezhnev. And Brezhnev. Yes, they were. They sang a lot. All, all the time. All the, all the, all the time. That's the reason why most of us say we lost Cold War. Too busy singing. Too busy. That's why you lost the Cold War. Well, that seems to be main reason. We yes. learn so much from you every day, Boris. Thank you very much for <laughs> that, uh, Boris. I, I, I don't know. Dan, I, 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 just, I just don't know, Dan. That's all I can say. Dan Mahaffey, of course, joining us again, giving us inside Washington, the politics. You know, so we, we really divide the forecast up into three segments. What's going on on Wall Street, what's going on in Washington, and what's going on in the world, and how it's all going to affect your portfolios, you listeners of the Farcast, which is just terrific. And we appreciate the notes, we appreciate the emails that you send us. Terrific. We get the best listeners in the world. And they're all over the world, which is terrific. Um, Dan Mahaffey uh, is at the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. He runs their policy programs. Remember, he went to Georgetown University. He has an uh, undergraduate degree in government with a minors in history and Mandarin Chinese. How about that? And he uh, has his master's degree in security studies with a concentration in U.S. defense policy. And Georgetown's a real school, too. Uh, so, uh, Boris, it's, it's, it's not, you know, like uh, the Lubayev uh, or wherever. Where no, it's a little bit better. I could not even get in Lubayev. So. <laughs> uh, Dan? Uh, familiar as you are with the Lubayev, welcome back. Glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, so much going on in Washington now. Um, the disruption kind of seems to continue, right? Precisely. We've had much of the coverage focused uh, over the past week on the Spygate, as the president calls it. Yes. The, the idea that uh, the professor who was uh, working as a confidential informant for the FBI uh, during the campaign in 2016 was, in fact, a spy planted by the deep state to set the foundation for undermining his campaign and his presidency. And how, how exactly would that work uh, for the deep state? The deep state is, who, who is exactly is the deep state? Well, he would see it to be, believe that it's a, a cabal of the- Who he? Is this the president? President Trump would, the president. would, would say that it is a group uh, led by former Obama administration officials in the Department ah. of Justice, uh, FBI, uh, Comey would have been seen as a member of this. Uh, Sally Any, Yates, is there, when she is there was evidence DHA, of this? There's no evidence. Oh, there's no evidence. Okay. But there's this narrative that he's continued to push out into his supporters through his Twitter account, uh, through uh, some aspects of right-wing media. Uh, sometimes it's even on the Fox News primetime uh, that this deep state is out to undermine his presidency. Uh, any word from Robert Mueller this week? No, Robert Mueller, uh, for those who are experts on trade, Robert Mueller's comparative advantage is being tight-lipped and quiet, yes. and he continues to do that. We don't, it's amazing. You just don't hear anything from him, right? No, it's the Unlike it's the tightest, everyone else in government, Tightest operation seems. in Washington. Yeah, okay, well, good for, good for them. It's nice that somebody has one, I guess, somewhere. Uh, we have seen a, a lot going on in Capitol Hill. Is that, would you say that's the main, if, if, as you're walking around the halls of Capitol Hill and the Capitol Building and Congress and congressional office buildings, is that what they're talking about, really? Well, there's talk of it. There was the briefing that was given for the members of the intelligence committees uh, last week on what exactly this FBI investigation was, uh, noting that many of the president's most... Uh, strongest supporters uh, were very quiet about it when they came out of this briefing. They did not uh, go along with that. So it's the idea of, of 
was there anything really there? And there doesn't seem to be much there. Nothing Not much burger there. Uh, is the word. The nothing burger. Um, uh, so help me with, with something else, because uh, last week when we spoke, uh, we were talking about uh, this upcoming uh, meeting between uh, uh, President Trump and um, his royal highness in uh, North Korea. The, uh, Dear Supremist Leader. This, this supreme, the Supreme yes. Supremes. And uh, Supreme of Supremes. And uh, the Dear Leader. And then it went all off. They started calling each other names. Uh, yeah. They started calling Vice President Pence names. Yeah, and then everything was called off. And then I'm looking up today and they're actually meeting again. Or they're planning a meeting. What, what, uh, how do we make sense of that? So things went a little bit pear-shaped. There were the statements. I think there's a two tracks within the administration, one led by National Security Advisor John Bolton, yes. still taking a very hard line on it. He cited the Libya what's, model. What's, what's, well, I, heard the, I heard the Libya model, but what is the hard line? that? But what would Bolton like to see? Probably total regime change in North Korea. The, the how do you do that? I mean, a lot of people would like to see it. How do you do that? How does Bolton a very, see that? I, I, He sees it as a result of pressure, uh, similar to the arguments you heard in the lead-up to the Iraq War, a combination of a uh, public uprising, a, a pressure on the regime, moderates taking over, eventual reunification, or otherwise a very, a a, military a very extremely ever, bloody war. A bloody war. Yes. And, and, and Okay, so Bolton's on one side, and he's looking for a more hardline approach. Yes. Versus? Versus Pompeo, uh, who's come in. He was the one handling the negotiations when he was director of the CIA that had begun, uh, has continued to work with them through the State Department and others in the administration. So we're tracking that, and we think it was a, a blow-up over, again, the Libya model, which resulted, as we know, with Gaddafi dead in a drainage ditch. And the message that sent to North Korea was that uh, we want you dead as well, when Bolton used that reference. So that was a speed bump back and forth. Now we're looking at these letters being exchanged. We have the uh, North Korean diplomat in the United States today, uh, U.S. delegation of the DMZ. Things seep seem to be moving along. I do not know if we can settle, though, on a ground-level uh, basic understanding of what this total denuclearization will be, given that for the North Korean regime, having those nukes is just a fundamental basis of regime survival. Why do they see it as a, a, a regime survival? Well, they look at the track record of history, that every regime that either didn't have nuclear weapons or gave up their nuclear weapons was at some point invaded by the United States. Oh, that. Oh, that. Oh, that. Uh, you know, but they have something that a lot of those other regimes didn't have. They have China. I mean, uh, Correct. sort of right next door is their primary trading partner. Uh, uh, well, interesting. And China now, uh, negotiations have gone quiet. We were in a trade war. Then we weren't in a trade war. And now we're back in a bit of one again. Secretary Mnuchin said we weren't in a trade war. But we then we're tariffs coming back today and a whole range of a, 50 a billion. kitchen cabinet. 50 billion, yes. 50 billion is Intellectual nothing. Intellectual property. Right. 50 billion is nothing in this. Certainly it's a, it's a, it's a, it's planting the flag in the ground on one position. Yes. But still when we consider that we had things like ZTE, you know, I'll, I'll hold up on that one where we had them, I think, by the collar there. And we've got this back and forth there. And, and there's a fundamental focus here on the top line, uh, top-line trade deficit numbers that I think obscures some of the longer-term complexities when we're actually competing with China. Marco Rubio has been very critical of, of yes. this ZTE deal. And in fact, as Republicans go, Marco Rubio has been the guy who's probably been most outspoken against a number of the president's policies and actions. He has been very uh, outspoken about the ZTE deal. He's positioning himself to run 
uh, for the Republican candidate? Does that seem to be what he's doing? Is Does he want to be the disruptor? What's going on? I wouldn't go so far as to say he's running right now. I don't think anyone can look at the state of the Republican base and see daylight right now in, in 2020 if they were to run. Uh, certainly circumstances can change. What I do think he is, though, is among a growing number of GOP policy hawks who see, and I think part of it's his own expertise in Latin America as well, where China's made long-term investments and inroads in there. We see their Belt, uh, belt and Road initiatives in Asia. Uh, their plans looking out to 2030, 2050 in terms of defense technology, and that China is thinking about its relationship with the United States in that framework, and we're arguing back and forth in a 24-hour news cycle from our end. And what's Ru But Rubio's agenda is what? Rubio's agenda is to still to continue to have himself in, you know, as a young guy, a viable, telegenic Republican candidate, maybe not 2020, but beyond. You get paid for that? I mean, what, what, what's the going rate to be a telegenic uh, young Republican? I mean, there got to be more than... Boris, do you have any? I get paid uh, <laughs> half a bag of onions. Yeah, well, I'm here on the radio, so... <laughs> half a bag of onions for Boris and yeah. half he's on the radio. Okay, well, it's a start. I, I mean, you know, all we know, all we know, Rubio started on the radio somewhere. Um, Okay, it has been interesting to see. But you don't think he's positioning himself as a candidate then? Is it, will anyone run against President Trump? I hear rumors. That would Kasich be interested? Would there be some kind of independent movement? I think so much of that, wait, we have to wait to see what Mueller says, where we get through the midterms on this. Uh, there is definitely, I, I think, where we see this showdown coming down to a battle of public opinion. Um, even Giuliani admitted it during the Sunday talk shows that everything they're saying is not about legal structures or impeachment. It's to win the battle of public opinion because they ultimately think that's where this will be decided. Uh, the, the, the court of public opinion, um, I bet that Robert Mueller doesn't think that the, this is going to get decided in the court of public opinion. Now, maybe another court but maybe not public opinion, huh? Well, that's the challenge. Again, we're, we're, we're going to come in here and we're going to see whether or not a president can be indicted. Uh, and we get into a whole legal uh, thing here where we would need a, a, probably another podcast just to go through all the permutations. Today is Tuesday, the 29th of May. What is getting done in Washington between now and November when we actually have this election? Well, we haven't even really seen the, the budget things move. We've got stuff like the, the NDAA, some other topics on uh, perhaps a, a floor motion on immigration that's going to be forced, uh, a range of housekeeping measures, bills. Uh, I can get into, you know, FAA, things like that, that people see government keeping the lights on. But this was just Memorial Day, the unofficial start of campaign season. Freedom Caucus is going to stop anything other than DACA and immigration. What are they doing? Well, they did that with the farm bill, embarrassing yes. leadership. I don't, we don't know what they're planning right now. Uh, funny for a group that professes freedom, how they all vote in lockstep. Uh, but we need to see where they're trying to position on those different topics. Um, and then I think, too, everyone is now looking at who potentially is going to be running. Uh, are the Democrats having their own uh, 2010 with the primaries, where you have some rather uh, progressive uh, Sanders uh, edge uh, candidates winning when the, when the moderates are, aren't as doing as well. Uh, that's all up in the air now as we're looking at election season. We are out of time. So this is terrific. Dan Mahaffey, you are the best. Uh, we're going to talk next week a little bit more about uh, Steve Mnuchin 
and Mike Pompeo and Jay Powell. These are three very interesting guys in Washington, and they're going to change a lot going forward. All of this affecting markets, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk. Uh, we, we talked about that with Kenny. You couldn't see all his hands moving, but it was amazing. I mean, he could talk at all without the hands, uh, without the hands moving. Um, when we come back, uh, Lester Munson, uh, we're going to talk about uh, what's going on in Italy, we're talking about what's going on in Spain, how it's all affecting world markets, which changed dramatically today. Stay with us. We'll be right back on The Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. This portion of The Farcast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Farmiller in Washington, we believe money is hard to make, and we're going to work hard to keep it working for you. You're listening to Forecast. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Forecast. Thank you so much for joining us again. It is a terrific Forecast this week. Kenny Polcari, fabulous. Uh, Dan Mahaffey. Really terrific insights, Spygate going on in Washington, D.C., and all of this instability is affecting markets. We saw them down over 400 points today. The Treasuries are rallying a little bit, flight to safety. Uh, our bond manager at Farm Miller in Washington is with us in the studio, Andy Mathis, one of the smartest bond managers you're ever going to find in the country. No, you can't steal him away. He's a partner at Farm Miller in Washington. But he's looking really, really smart because he's been buying bonds and they've rallied big time. Uh, Boris, that's a fabulous piece of music there. What am I listening to? Oh, this is uh, from Vlad Putin. Uh, this is Vlad Putin himself. That's right. This, oh, this uh, is exciting. This was a blues album from a blues album he cut a few years ago. He, he does blues? Yes, this album was called Death Comes for Us All. And this song <laughs> is called, let me get this correct, This Winter is Long and Cold and Will Most Likely Kill Us All. And uh, Oh, it's a it cheery a, song. It was it? a dark period in Vlad's life. Dark winter uh, over, well... Uh, in, in, interesting. Was it a popular song, Boris? It was number one. Number one. <laughs> Mandatory to be number one, yes. Manda perfect. Well, it's. It, I guess it's easier to have a number one. Um, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I just, I can't, I don't know what to do with him, and he does this every week. Um, he'll be releasing his greatest hits, of course, in time for the holiday season on KTEL. Wait, wait for it. It's going to be big. Lester Munson is a principal uh, uh, in the... Uh, international group at, at BGR. Uh, it's a leading government relations firm in Washington. Now, this guy has chops. He's the real deal. He consults with foreign governments and corporations. He's on the adjunct faculty at Johns Hopkins University, a visiting fellow at George Mason's National Security Institute. He was on Capitol Hill, 26 years. He looks a lot younger than that. A little white in the beard, though. That comes a, sort of a giveaway there, Lester. Uh, so he was, was uh, head of the Senate Foreign Relations uh, Committee, uh, worked for uh, Senator Mark Kirk, uh, done a bunch of things on Capitol Hill, uh, also a graduate of the University of Chicago and a master's degree from St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland, the uh, capital of our uh, state of Maryland. Uh, thank you so much, Lester, for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well... Uh, so much to talk about. So there's a lot of news out of Spain and Italy today. I saw that the, uh, the headline I read this morning, Lester, was that there was an unpredictable and uh, unstable government uh, now in Italy. And I thought, really? 
That's a that's a headline. Yeah, that's uh, they could print that about every six hours, I think, it's for the past really thirty or fifty years. Yeah. Um, but but uh, actually, it, it made it did make a little bit of news uh, today. Uh, a no confidence vote by the current president for the new government now throws everything out because they're worried that Italy might try to leave the EU. That's right, and the euro. Uh, and we're also looking at a no confidence vote for the Spanish government. Uh, as early as this week. So there is there is a little bit of turmoil in Europe. There's always a little bit of turmoil. I think the issue this week appears to be people weren't expecting it. So it's a, it's a surprising uh, development in both cases. They were surprised that nobody had confidence. I mean, what I, I, it's what does it mean in Spain if there's an if there's no confidence and no confidence vote? Well, that means that uh, the current government, which is not um, which is the prime minister and his cabinet, is being evaluated for whether they're adhering to what the people want. So right. there's, there's, a, uh, there's a little bit more turmoil in European parliamentary systems than we have here in the States. This is not actually spectacularly unusual. And as you mentioned earlier, in Italy, you know, we used to see new governments every three or four months for a while. They had some stability for the past few years, but this is not at all abnormal for a European democracy. And our markets really fell today. Our markets did not like the news out of Europe. I can't really, for the life of me, figure out why. I mean, if we look at, at, at trade with the EU, that is kind of a big deal. But with Spain and Italy and all of the news that we've been through from, uh, from, from Greece uh, and, and, the, and the problems there and whether we're going to have actual contagion and uh, sovereign debt that's held by the various banks or whether they're so, uh, solvent or not. And, you know, Bank Santander uh, has big issues, of course, not good issues, big bad issues going on uh, over uh, in Spain. And, and so there are real issues. And yet, when you look at, at how material they will be to the U.S., not so much. There are some long-term trends to be concerned about. You know, you're seeing the atomization of some of the European polity, uh, Catalonia wanting to secede from the rest of Spain, Scotland trying to get out of the UK, uh, the UK wanting to get out of the European Union. Uh, so there is, there is a, a kind of an atomization, a balkanization happening in Europe writ large. Right. That's a long-term trend. A little bit of the same things going on in our country, not quite as bad. Uh, but Northern these, Virginia wants to secede, do they? Uh, I think it's South Carolina. It's kind Carolina. of our perennial uh, <laughs> state that wants to do something else. Well, it's a pretty place. You get down there in the low it's country. Beautiful. I mean, why wouldn't you want to get the hell out? I get it. Uh, okay, so we've been seeing a whole lot on this very unstable, unpredictable international front. Um, and does how does the instability of all of these events whether it's us putting our uh, embassy in Jerusalem or pulling out of the Iran deal or the negotiations with North Korea, all of this seems to be changing every time you turn on the radio or pick up another newspaper, uh, for those who actually pick up newspapers. But the headlines are changing so fast. What is it like for people uh, who have to negotiate and be true statesmen uh, to negotiate in this kind of an environment? Well, it's a it is a, a multilateral opportunity. It's a multipolar world now. You know what we're what I think we're looking at. This is my personal opinion: is the the end of the end of the Cold War. It's been 30 years since the Cold War ended. We've had a settling out of co countries that should have certain rights and prerogatives. Countries on the rise, countries on the decline, some countries breaking up. Uh, that's kind of coming to a head now. That's been a generation long process, and we're starting to see. 
the final touches of the rise of China, which now is a player in both the Middle East and in Southeast Asia, uh, a kind of a weird surge here at the end by Russia, which is really at the end of the day a declining power. Its population numbers are going down. It has no real industry. Its population of the of Russia is is what 130 million, 125 million, something yeah, like that. Yeah, and it's on the way. And it's on the way down. And falling. They have real problems. They have real problems. Uh, so China on the rise, Russia on the decline. Yet under Putin, they've they've managed to become geopolitically relevant again in in the Middle East and in Eastern Europe. They've really been throwing their weight around pretty effectively. In you the you said something though about the end of the end of the Cold War, and I saw Dan Mahaffey nodding and, and uh, chime in if you'd like, Dan. But the end of the end of the Cold War, it it uh, it feels to me when I hear when I keep seeing uh, 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 Vladimir Putin suggests that they've got rockets that can go faster and farther and are undetectable and can do all of these marvelous things and can attack us from anywhere. And uh, when they support uh, Syria and tell us not to cross this line and are threatening us, it sort of seems like somebody's trying to get the Cold War started all over again. What am I missing? Well, Putin, I think what a lot of what Putin's doing is for his own benefit back home. He's oppressing all of his opposition. There's no democracy. There's no vo real voice of the people in Russia. He just got reelected. He's with some absurd number of the vote. Uh, he's Putin was reelected with an absurd number of the vote. Is that right, right Boris? I think it was, what, 104%? <laughs> Maybe 105. Seems yeah. reasonable to me. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of the vote, 105%. So, he's, so he's, per, he's, he's, for his own domestic audience, to kind of keep them in line, portraying himself as this strong man who can do great things and he can challenge the powerful United States, which is, by the way, not remotely true anymore. Russia is no longer a pure competitor with the United States. They simply don't have the capability. Yes, they have a nuclear weapons capability we should be concerned about, but other than that, Russia is not... Uh, not as of concern to U.S. national security as China is. Uh, no, well, clearly China, and 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 of concern to markets too. China is a big concern to markets, um, big deal. Uh, between Iran and North Korea, would those be the two leading, I guess, uh, conflicts or negotiations on your mind or problems that we're facing? Well, I think the president has chosen. Our president Trump has chosen both Iran and North Korea and put them in play in a way that he didn't necessarily have to do. He pulled us out of the Iran nuclear agreement rather abruptly, although he promised to do this during the campaign. And there quickly, was, why, why do you think he did that? What did he want to accomplish? I think, I think he felt he had a better chance of affecting a new outcome in the Middle East by pulling out than by continuing negotiations with our allies in Europe for either an amendment to the deal or a new tougher deal. He felt this was a better opportunity for him to act in kind of a chaotic environment. And I think you're seeing in, South, in, uh, in Northeast Asia with, with uh, the Korean situation, a president who feels that when the spotlight is on him and he is the one calling the shots, he's either calling for a summit or pulling out of a summit, that he has a better chance to affect the outcome. And, and he also, it would appear, seems to think, he'll do better if they're both in play at the same time. And, you know, when we look at trade with China and we look at some of the tariffs that have been imposed, most people who are trading in, in, in steel and aluminum will tell you that, the, that China has had a very unfair advantage and that the playing field had to be leveled. And now whether, you know, uh, n that, that no one was expecting this when the president called his press conference, uh, and said we're going to have these 25% tariffs and we're going to do this and it's all going to start, you know, at 2 o'clock this afternoon or whenever it was. 
we come back from those positions, and many people uh, recognize or, or would agree that something had to happen in our trade relationship with China. In your opinion, did something have to happen with our relationship with Iran? Could that deal have been left alone, or did something need to be done? No, I think the president I don't think something had to be done. There was an ongoing effort by our diplomats and our uh, high-ranking administration officials with our European allies in London, Paris, and Berlin, who were, the, who were key co-signers of the Iran nuclear deal, to toughen, to get a, a joint agreement on toughening the, the terms for Iran. Uh, and, if, and if we had achieved that, for sure, Iran would have been forced to accommodate us, at least to some degree, okay. with, a, with a better deal. So you they think we were making enough progress? In, Based on what Iran? I know, it yes. seemed like we were moving in the right direction. I think the president, who clearly he knew more about exactly what the discussions were, felt that he was better off just pulling out of the deal entirely and then restarting a, a new process of discussions that could lead to a new deal with Iran. I don't think that's in the offing at all, but I think he feels he's in a better, stronger position now. We've got less than a minute. Tell me about uh, what's, what, what, what is going on with North Korea. So what we're looking at is the, is the negotiations. This is, you know, you say... Negotiating in public. Negotiating in public. The, the phrase used to be you, the first negotiation is over the shape of the table. This is kind of negotiating over the shape of the table. Who's, where are we going to go? Who's calling the meeting? Who can cancel the meeting? Who's going to show up? How are you, are you going to show up for the pre-planning session? That's all going on but right now But this one started out face. with one of them calling the other one fat. I mean... <laughs> That's right. It's all, I mean, it's the all. table seems very polite when you, Look, when you come would, from fat. I wouldn't rule out Dennis Rodman making an appearance here as kind of the closer <laughs> for a deal. Uh, so it's, it's, it's it, wide You know, open. that doesn't sound at all absurd, really. No, it does not. I mean, uh, that, that, that could, uh, uh, that's, well. Uh, so you think progress is being made there? I think we've gotten prisoners released. We've got a, uh, an end to the armistice between North and South, and yes. perhaps a real peace deal. Those are yes. real achievements. Those We're are headed real in the right direction. Yeah. Kim Jong-un has made some... Uh, statements that are very encouraging. I don't know that we're going to get all the way to denuclearization, but we're, I think we're pointed in the right direction. Lester Munson, thank you so much for being with us on the Farcast. This has been terrific. I've really learned a lot. I hope you'll come back. Yes, sir. You're a terrific guest, terrific guest. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us again. Please remember that if you think you heard us recommend uh, uh, stock for purchase or sale or a bond or anything or any security of any kind for purchase or sale, we didn't. We don't do that here on the Farcast. If you're thinking of changing your portfolio to add to support track to make any changes whatsoever. We didn't recommend that either. Uh, please check with your financial professional. And if we can be helpful to you, please give us a call at Farr Miller and Washington, farmiller.com. We're happy to help. Please continue to email us. We love hearing from you. It is such a privilege to join you in your earbuds and in your car uh, every week. It really is wonderful. Thank you for all of the shares. We had a great last week uh, on shares. Our numbers went way up. Please do it again for us this week. Uh, introduce a friend of the Farcast in Washington, D.C. Going to be back with you again next week. Thanks so much. I'm Michael Farr.